and welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. And we've got a game to talk about as the Texans were back in action in a win over New Orleans on Saturday. Um, football is finally back and it gives us something to discuss materially beyond training camp reports and try and find some sense of where this 53 plus, you know, additional international player uh, practice squad is going to shape up. It felt like we got a bit there, but joining me this week, um, a returning guest, Mr. Rivers McCowan. Rivers, how you doing? Just uh, hanging in there. It's been a rough couple of weeks for me personally, but uh, excited to see some football finally, even if it was just a lot of Jeff Driscoll. Well, it was, yeah. I, I, I'll confess now I didn't stay up till one in the morning, kick off to watch Driscoll sling it uh, all night. I'll uh, be honest with you on that. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but in, ter- in terms of the uh, just the general off-season, uh, Rivers, how have you kind of seen that shape up, um, particularly as we've got into training camp? Has it been in line with your expectations or how do you, how have you seen this 22 takes inside shape up? I mean, it's kind of what we thought it was at the beginning of the offseason, right? Like, they didn't sign anybody big. They've got a lot of, uh, you know, kind of hole-patching guys like Steven Nelson out there. Um, they're trying to run the fullback stuff. Now they've got three of them, I think, with Janovich and Harrison and Quesson Berry. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's like material change, but it's not really in a direction where you're like, oh, well, this is obviously going to be great. This is obviously going to get better. Um, there are guys that could make the team better and there are young guys who could take a take a leap and that's kind of at this point yeah no I, I to be honest i had to pull up the uh the, the 90 man roster to find out the other third fullback on i wasn't aware to be honest so um i think my <laughs> my, my attention to detail this team's probably slipped over the last couple of years just for sanity purpose more than anything else right enough um but um in terms of kind of um the Saints win then how do you kind of I suppose first of all how do you how do you put a pre-season game in its entirety into perspective because I think it's easy to overreact or or um, or latch onto things that are probably not there because it's a false environment in many ways but how do you how do you kind of view pre-season games and what do you take out of them I mean really in pre-season I'm trying to find guys who are winning one-on-one because the schemes are pretty much all vanilla like no, no, nothing, nothing we saw from Pep Hamilton you know, this, this, the sun, this Saturday is like, oh man, right in the game plan for week one. Um, so just trying to see guys who stand out physically, see guys who stand out athletically, see guys who win one-on-ones, break tackles, that sort of thing. And, you know, if they're, if they play in the second half, that doesn't mean they're, they're necessarily going to be good or, you know, part of the 53, but at least you can see that they got to step up and maybe they're going up the depth chart instead of down. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's you. You kind of get a feel for where guys are probably in their plans to some degree. Obviously, much of the stars don't play. Therefore, trying to judge the quality of your team and the difference makers on either side of the ball, it's impossible to do. But was it Damian Pierce's show? Um, would you say he's the biggest takeaway from from that the game on Saturday? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, he was running mostly the second team line, so we don't know how that's going to work out against you know, better defense, et cetera. But he did look good. He, he did make decisive cuts. Uh, he did pick up and pass pro. Um, you know, I'm really curious now because, you know, after the game, Lovey Smith was like, well, you know, it, it takes time. But of course, you know, we're excited about what we see. I'm very curious how quickly there will be like a fan, right? Because I saw John McClain put out there like, yeah. hey, 
if you if you don't start him right away, you're not you're not you know playing your best team. So I'm very curious how quickly that's going to flip the Texans because I think if they run Rex Burkhead 15 times in Week One, nobody's going to be happy. Yeah, no, I think it's it's the the vision, the patience. Uh, the burst, the willingness to put his body in there at the point of contact um, was being tackled, I think, is something that's just kind of refreshing because, I mean, how long has it been since you've seen a genuine quality runner back there? Um, I mean, you could probably argue the tosser hasn't been one for many years, but like I think he, he certainly looks like to have the initial billings of a, a lead back, potentially. Would you go as far as that? What I came up with is this is the most excited I've been about a player in the backfield since pre-Achilles Deontay Foreman. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, and that was the Arizona game, wasn't it? The uh, Where he, he was on the end zone, gets wiped out from behind as he's about to score. And he's, he's probably, not, well, I know he's at Carolina now this year, but yeah, he he flashed so much promise, didn't he? And I think it's just, a lot, I mean, it's probably the lack of personnel, care and attention they've put into that position. Um, just that you know, Alf, you know, Alfred Blue days still uh, haunt you at times. Um, <laughs> so, so the and 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 then the, the complete misuse of Lamar Miller. So right through this last you know the last couple of schemes, it's been uh, it's been it's been pretty poor. But was there any other guys that stood out apart from uh, Damien? Um, I was kind of. I know this is kind of tough to to do this on two series, but. Uh, the other guy who's been getting a lot of camp buzz, no matter who who you come from, if it's the guys on the ground or if it's the national guys, is oh you got to watch out for Nico Collins. You got to watch out for Nico Collins. Nico Collins is doing so much. Didn't really see a lot from Nico Collins in the game, and, and this is something that you know I feel like we also saw last year, where out of hype in the camp, uh, he looks really good. Obviously, he's got a you know a big body to dream on, and we get to the games and you know. Either nothing happens or it was fine. And so I'm very curious how that's going to play out. Uh, I really, I, I never plan to play the starters more in week two against the Rams. I'm really hoping to see some good Nico Collins stuff because I'd like to validate that hype a little bit. Well, that's it. And I think you, when you think how much he gave up, and I know it wasn't his fault he got injured in Cleveland last year because he caught that, uh, I think it was a slant he got it in, um, and he got injured on the play. Obviously, yep. took took a lot of his development, took a lot of momentum away from him. So there, you know, there's mitigating factors, but yeah, I think we've had him reported as a camp star, um, much in the same way as Pharaoh Brown, I suppose, this year again. Um, but yeah, you've got to actually see some consistent level of production. I know he was okay towards the end of last year, probably more than Pharaoh, but um, but certainly he's a guy that's you know he's one of those inflection points on your roster. Do you need to go and replace that next off season, or is he actually a viable starter in this league? And I don't know. And I think when you look at some of the frustrations I have with him, Rivers is considering the frame, considering the measurables, he doesn't win a lot of contested catches and he was kind of, so, you know, so. Not last year, no. Yeah. And I think he's, I think he's quicker than he, when, than some people actually um, give him credit for. And I think there's a variance of what you can use him for. But yeah, as you said, it's, it's a, it's a watching uh, brief there. I, I thought the defensive line looks good. I think we talked about the defense last week with Jordan. Um, but I, I think that probably of one of the few positions actually, I mean, there's no world beaters in there. Um, there's certainly not any kind of game records, but I think the overall quality of the position, because uh, where we are at this stage, there was some flashes. Uh, Okrawonko on the outside, um, albeit later in the in the in the series uh, when the starters start to to slip out. But um, but certainly, I think the defensive line looks serviceable. I think and there was enough to to get there. But I, I think you can't get too hyped again about beating third and fourth string linemen. Yeah, it's really hard to judge the quality of 
anybody in that game from about the start of quarter two on because you had Ian Book, who had one of the worst NFL starts I've seen in my life last year, and Jeff Driscoll, who is a tight end who's converting to quarterback again. So like it was like watching mid-tier SEC football. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter at all. I'm not saying that you know, if you don't want to get hyped on Kurt Heinisch, you know, you don't you don't have to pretend like, oh man, Kurt Heinisch just dominated this good competition. But he did okay. He he proved himself, you know, reasonably. But but just you know, you got to discount everything that happened in the last three quarters of that game. Yeah, I think so. I think all you want to say, as you said, you want to see flashes and you want to put, you know, Heinisch is a great example of. He's probably not ready to start. He's probably not ready to play. You know, maybe 20, 30 snaps, but um, again, but he's potentially a development guy for you down the line when he gets acclimated um, to this level. Was there any? Um, was there anybody that surprised you at all, or anybody that you um, that you didn't have um, in your in your thoughts that made some plays, or was there was it kind of as expected? Um, I'll give you a in a good way a player who didn't play that well. <laughs> uh, my surprise is I was surprised that Eric Murray was out there as late as he was. And I think Eric Murray has been one of the most hotly contested players on the roster from a fan perspective. And just that nobody seems to know why he gets as much playing time as he did last year and why the Texans like him as much as they do. So it was good for me to see Jonathan Owen step up, get that forced fumble. Uh, obviously, into a real fumble, but uh, recovery, but that's fine. And then to see, you know, <laughs> just just to get our, our long-suffering safety out there in the second half, that made me feel like somebody's paying attention finally on the defense. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think the fact that Jonathan Owens is, is kind of, you know, uh, and Terrence Brooks, uh, I'm, I, I don't think either of them are potentially starting caliber safeties in this league. I think if you watch the tape against Indy last, last year in, in Indianapolis, Terrence Bruce was not good that game. Um, and I think when your best safety by some significant distance is a rookie and he's first ever pro out, and it's probably a little bit of a worry. I think that kind of spot is, is something in a cover two scheme that you, you require four of those guys to be credible. Um, that kind of gives me a little bit of concern. Yeah, I can see that for sure. But I mean, I think also at this point, would I rather see Jonathan Owens get a real chance or would I rather see Eric Murray play again <laughs> and that's kind of where i'm at i just want to see young guys who maybe have a chance to become something get a chance and run with it yeah i, th- I, was, I thought mg stewart considering he was a kind of bona fide kind of contributor he was out there reasonably late and des king as well were quite um on the field probably longer than they would have liked considering their roster chances was there anybody else that you had out there that was that was late and you thought i'm surprised that that they've obviously slipped down the, the pecking order um i guess I guess the best way to put this is like I, I've paid attention to the camp, or at least I wouldn't say I paid attention live to the camp, but I've caught up a lot of camp notes. Haven't seen a lot about Jalen Reeves Maven. And yeah. this is a guy who has five million guaranteed in his contract over the next two years. So uh, when they signed that, I was like, okay, so he's a starting linebacker. And then they re signed uh, Kamu. Kamu's back. And all of a sudden, he's not. And now he's playing second team and like there's Kevin Pierre Lewis who kind of offside disappointing 2021 and I'm like okay so they like Pierre Lewis more now than the guy they just gave five million guarantee I, I don't know it doesn't make any sense to me but they have a lot of linebackers and uh, I think somebody somebody productive from an NFL standpoint is going to get cut out here yeah because I thought that the, the Mabin 
deal seems a funny one because actually if you look into the cap number next year I think we're sitting at sucker 45, 46 million space but with that money before you make any moves there's only 45 players under the roster but Mabin's reasonably high in the pecking order in terms of actual money um, yeah. um, which is, is quite interesting because obviously you've, they trade for Blake Cashman who a guy I generally zero awareness of and uh, he looked okay you know I, I think a lot of people said in um, New York he's actually a decent player start as a rook but um Injuries kind of curtailed his development a little bit, but you think, yeah, when when you've got a guy like that who's on a bit, you know, a basic uh, minimum uh, versus that, you wonder if that's a, another uh, misevaluation. I suppose it's still early in the Casario life cycle, but it is evaluating linebackers potentially an issue with the Kevin Pierre Lewis and now this one as well. It's something to watch, I think. Well, I mean, even you know Christian Kirksey, who you know they they protect and bubble wrap, and he's like their I, like I wouldn't call him good. No. Like he's, you know, I could I could say that I could maybe be convinced that he's been solid, or or productive, or like a word like that. But I wouldn't have said that his performance was good. And this is this is like they're the guy who they think so highly of. They sit him out the first preseason game. Their their linebacker stuff is. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Did, did you see his his interview on the sideline? And they said, "What what have you done to improve? Or what's what's going to be better about you?" And he just said, "I'm going to take my, the the mental side of the game at another level." And I thought, "Right, okay. Well, if, that's, if that's the case, and I hope it's going to save you a couple of steps because the uh, the depth and coverage at times is uh, is not what it's required to be. But I, I, the the reason why the Cashman um, additions stood out, I thought he you know he, he tipped that pass. I think it was going into Nick Vanette from yeah, from Book and. I, there was a couple of times where he made good plays and I thought uh, Hansen as well, the undrafted guy, you know, looks serviceable, I think, you know, and they got this reasonable amount of game time. Um, so an interesting one, because I've heard people say linebacker is a strength of this team, but for me on paper and from the sort of live tape that we've seen of these guys, I don't agree with that at all. I think it's an, an area that, you know, they might want to look to add. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely got a, a bit more of a picture on the team. What we didn't really get a picture for uh, Rivers was the offense. I think the, the starters are as close to starters. Um, I don't think it was two back to back three and outs, but it was near enough. Um, a concern at this stage in terms of this offense? Uh, I've been concerned since day one. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it, this wasn't a surprise to me at all. Um, I can't say that watching the starters, I felt like this is going to go well. Um, I think there, there are some outs for sure. There are guys who can take leaps like Nico, like Rep and Jordan, who, if they hit, really change a lot about how we think about things here. Um, obviously, Davis Mills can be better, we hope. Um, and he definitely has the attitude to kind of showcase that he can do that, make that leap. But but yeah, like <laughs> just on raw talent, when you know they make those ESPN top ten lists, and you've got one guy on the entire game who <laughs> makes a position list, and it's Larry Tunsil who got that thirty-five million dollar contract or whatever next year. Hmm. It's 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 not great. <laughs> well, well, that, that's I come back to the question: Is the lack of talent on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, and it feels like in some sense it's like it's almost a year behind the defence in terms of development um, to try and forge some identity um, I think that says a lot but um, under that's this a, I, actually that's a great identity what is their identity because their identity right now to me seems like well uh, we're just going to find mismatches and we're going to attack with uh, get the ball to our best players what does that mean 
What does that actually mean? <laughs> it seems to me like the identity is we're going to run the ball. We've got some fullbacks, and we're going to run some play action off of that. Now, that can work if you get those play action passes really dialed up well. But like as far as an identity, I'm having a hard time finding what that is. Well, yeah, I think they're definitely, well, as you hear with many offenses, a commitment to the run. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, and I've, I've not watched the All-22, um, it's not available yet, but watching the just the broadcast copy, Rivers, I thought that what they rolled out there was kind of almost, not similar, but I know it's pretty vanilla, so you can't really take too many schematic tendencies from it, but I thought it was very very similar in all the alignments and everything that they ran last year. I didn't think it was particularly um, transformational what we've seen. Obviously, they're not going to show their hands, but from your experience covering Pep Hamilton and other cities prior, um, what do you think his ideal offense is? Is it just exactly that? They're going to run the ball and a bit of play action and matchups and you know anything else? I mean, there's obviously a a tendency towards the power scheme. I don't know if we've got the I don't know if we've got the alignment to block it. Um, but what do you think Pep's ideal is considering the players he's got this year? I mean, I know that they want to get another tight end, and you saw that when they avoided the trade for Shaheen. I think that's kind of important to how they want to do things because they need another blocker right now to really run everything they want to run. Um, I do think, yeah, it's going to tend towards the play action pass. That's the kind of the biggest question of the season for me is how successful they can be with that because Tim Kelly's play action passes were just, just brutal, just ghastly for like three seasons. Um, and before that, you know, saved his job in 2017. That was almost almost because he made the Sean Watson play action passes work in his rookie year. And then it all rests the next year. So if they can turn that around, you know, find some explosive plays off that, I think that's going to really feed into everything they want to do. Uh, get some guys out of the box, maybe, in, in some situations. But if they can't do anything with that, I'm really struggling to see what they're going to do beyond what they did last season, which is just throw a lot of short passes and, you know, run clock yeah because I, I think that's the concern isn't it because I mean how, how do you view the, the play action pass what do you think needs, what's the what's the elements of a successful one because as you said I remember 2017 it was it was masterful at times and I think it was like the triple option almost the run at times uh, you know fakes in the backfield um, reverses etc that you know and it was there was so much misdirection and I never quite got back to that in a long time um, but what, what do you think makes a play action passing attack successful and do you think we've got the guys to do it well i mean brandon cooks is a good start for that for sure i mean mm. you you need you need somebody to threaten deep obviously you want somebody to go to the intermediate level and the texans like to do that yankee stuff with with uh, the brian and kelly where they would have them cross in the middle and that yeah. was it and the reason those plays often die was because well teams just dropped back five or six guys and they had no really outlet passes or anything like that and so watson would throw the ball at somebody's feet or play with die or, or, or whatever. And I do think that Pep does a better job of that. Like I do think he does a better job doing outlet passes. And, you know, even if you get Farrell Brown, you know, fake blocking and coming open underneath and rumbling for like eight yards, that's a successful play for this team. That's a big play for what this team can do. So yeah, I think the design of that's going to matter a lot. I think they can have success with it. We least compared it to the Tim Kelly stuff, but it's it's going to be interesting to see if Nico or uh, Chris Conley or somebody like that 
Philip Dorsett can be kind of that intermediate guy because that's where they really need help right now. Yeah, because they don't really have like a big slot. Um, and I know we've kind of seen that kind of come into the league more, but <clears throat> I was pretty surprised they didn't sign somebody of a reasonable note, um, considering the position they're in, at wide receiver or tight end. Um, I know the Shaheen trade fell through last week, but I think those two spots, you know, apart from Brandon Cooks, you said push, push him to one side. And in a year two of a quarterback, he's not played a lot of ball, um, to only have one sort of considered, you know, proven talent option at a pass catch at a skill position. Um, it's probably a bit of a concern, I think, isn't it? And I think, you know, if you're going to get a true evaluation of Davis, then I, I, I would have thought they would have gone out and sort of made at least some kind of steady kind of, you know, pros to uh, to go and support with that. Because I think that's 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 the concern, right? Well, I think they would, I think in an ideal world, they would have wanted to do that. But I think they got kind of caught, like a lot of the NFL uh, looking at the wide receiver salaries this offseason and being like, what is going on here? Why is why are the Jaguars signing guys like uh, you know Raiders castoffs for like eight million a season? What is happening here? And Nick Casario, for all of his you know whatever my my problems are with him, I, I would say that he's very value focused and that tends to come out in contracts where you're not going to see a big free agent splash on this team right now. You're not going to see a guy get 10 million in a season. You're not going to see a guy get a lot of money in future seasons. And the way the wide receiver market worked just kind of, I think, capped them out of that from how he likes to play the game. So they traded up for Mechie. Well, <laughs> can't really do it. That's, that's, that's poor. That's poor luck. Obviously. Now we're kind. Of, we kind of are where we are. Um, you'd like to see a trade, maybe, but you understand that there's not really a lot that can be done to make this team go to like a playoff team with one trade. So, yeah, and I think it, it's both positions. Kind of, I think you know may hinder the offense. We talk about that level of talent. One spot they did spend that, and probably the biggest contract they're giving out was AJ Can. He's not played a lot of football coming back. Um, I think that, plus the Kenyan Green injury, I think the interior of the O-line, particularly if you think of the athleticism of Mills, actually at times probably the interior is probably more important for a quarterback like of his uh, athletic ability and pliability than perhaps the edges at times. Um, is the interior of the line a concern? I didn't think it looked that great last night, um, or sorry, on Saturday night um, at all. And I think with particularly with Kenyon Green missing time, AJ Khan is going to come back. Um, the options after that, McRae, um, just isn't it. And I don't know how that's going to be. you got Quisenberry starting at centre. Um, Britt's got a, an injury history. I think the interior line's probably not solved itself in the way they would have thought with their biggest free agent signing and a first-round draft pick right now. Well, yeah. I mean, the interior line is going to be an issue. It was an issue last year. And, you know, they brought back a lot of the guys from last year is the thing. Britt's still here. McRae's still here. Jimmy Morrissey's still here. Sharping's still here. They might not all make the 53, but, you know, these are their guys. And you bring in Can, who's, let's face it, a Warhop guy. And that doesn't mean that he's good. It doesn't mean that he's going to play like garbage either, but he doesn't have much of a history of playing well. And Kenyon Green is a first round rookie and first round rookie lineman. They can go a number of ways. Most of them are not Rashawn Slater. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like from the beginning, I've understood why people have said, oh, well, they've made some more investment. This this could take a step forward. 
it could, but now that we're in camp and we've got, you know, Brits injured already, Canyon Green hasn't played much. It's starting to trend towards looking a little scary again. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. Sharping was wasn't even um, well. He's he's he was he's backup right guard right now. And I think it just shows you where he is. Another failed pick in there. So I think considering how much they want to run the ball. Um, I think that could could potentially be some of their undoing. I think um, in terms of that, in in terms of the the run game, um, Rivers. Do you see Pep just from when you covered him in Indy? Um, in terms of the power running scheme, is that what you think he prefers? I know people people don't purely run uh, one or other, uh, but is, is that what you think he he wants to base his scheme off? And do you think any of the guys, including our two tackles, who have invested a lot in, can run that? Because I'm I'm, I'm still unsure on that. I mean, I think Pep. I think Pep for for, for Pep Power is his preferred fastball, but I think Indy's success usually was off of the changeups to that fastball, the play action of stuff, of course, and then you know, kind of a misdirection into that power, um, bring guys around the line of scrimmage, pulling double people or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely have problems seeing. <laughs> let's face it, anybody on this team. For maybe Titus Howard being a positive run blocker right away, and <laughs> it, when you throw in you know more schematic elements that they're not maybe not as used to running, yeah, I mean, it's it's a situation where I would be upset if I wasn't used to it. <laughs> yeah. What do you what do you think the good could look like for, if all go to plan um, and you get some you know unrivaled or unexpected contributions to it, guys, more solid play. Um, relatively mistake-free football in terms of turning the ball over. What do you think the best kind of case scenario for this offense is this year? Um, well, best case, Damian Pierce takes over right away. Running game is middle of the pack, maybe. Enough to where they can get to third and five or third and four consistently. Um, Davis Mills is a high passer who takes a step forward and targeting the corners maybe um kind of that 10 to 20 yard area intermediate on the, either side where they really kind of struggled last year uh that's that's a big throw for him to make and you know they come out of this as maybe like a, t- a fringe top 15 offense yeah yeah and i know everybody's kind of i, I don't know i know you're not uh you're not um or uh, you're not not used to the uh, some of the the online ire of people uh, if you don't necessarily agree with the upward most positivity and I know a lot of people are desperately wanting Davis Mills to be there I think when you see him on Saturday there uh, you know he's throwing short of the sticks I know it's I know it's early um, I know there's been good days and bad days in camp there's been I think more good than bad uh, this year so there may be some progression there but what do you what do you think he has to work on this year to to take that step? Um, because I think a lot of his interceptions were over the middle um, last year. Um, some errant throws at times. I don't know people kind of harp back to the, um, the 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 great stretch at the end of the season. But I mean, I I will always say to people if you go and watch the the 49ers game, uh, the only drive they put together was because of penalties and they didn't move the ball all day. So you know, there's there's going to be a baseline of somewhere against good to to get an idea of where it where it can project to. Um, in terms of a ceiling, but what do you? How do you make that whole Mills debate? Because obviously, people's hopes are with them because there isn't many places to put that hope this year. Um, but what's your what's your take on on Mills? Well, first of all, let me tell you, I'm I'm very used to hearing from everybody in the fan base who's positive. Let me tell you, 
that's something I've been with for a while. Um, no, no, I think Davis Mills has a chance to be, you know, it, it's like it's like Danny Jeremiah said. He he has like that Matt Ryan upside of everything falls together, right? But we're still away from seeing that. Um, I think number one for me, and this is going to be a true, have you watched the games or not thing? Yeah, his deep passing numbers were really good last year, but his deep ball is not that good. He needs kind of, uh, he needs to lead guys. He needs like that. He can't thread a pass in there. So I think that the, the team, teams kind of played him early with zone, realized that, oh, he can pick apart zones. He's got to be some process as long as you don't rush him quickly. Okay, well, we'll blitz him. And he had problems with that at third time. Uh, the Texans found some answers for that, like the uh, Dorset catch against the Jaguars, where it was, you know, cover zero and just go with it. Um, and now this year, I think he's going to have to face more compl- complicated schemes where it's cover two and you've got a threat to throw in there. And can he do it over the middle? Yeah, I think he can. But what, can he do it consistently? That's that's the key question. Yeah, because I, I heard that uh, some of the Seth Payne maybe on radio today, and he said, you know, you've got to remember all these guys that are out there can make good plays. It's how consistently can they make these good plays, and I think that's the the key. Exactly. You can't you can't just flash up a highlight of you know week nine against the Chargers, uh, ridden with COVID, and um, and and tell you that's gonna that's gonna be the, the the summation of the or the entirety of the story. I think there's a lot to, lot to I mean, there's a lot of good defenses and a lot of tough road trips this year and and for this offense so I think there's a lot to be seen obviously it's hard to judge it right now in terms of like the vanilla packages but I just thought it kind of looked a bit it didn't look like they went out there on the first couple of drives I thought Rivers and, and looked confident and looked like they could really move the ball up and down considering you know Cameron Jordan etc are all sitting in street clothes on the side to go kind of flimsily out like that I think it's something that everybody will be watching assuming the starters get more time in LA what do you think you need to see next week in LA from this offense because well you know from the earlier starters uh what do you think you need to see um to sort of kind of get a better handle or a grasp on where they are going into this year oh man I don't need to see anything because I don't really think the Rams care I don't think they care about the preseason at all. They haven't for a while. So, I mean, what would I like to see? I would like to see Nico Collins make some catches for sure. I would like to see um, play action earlier, uh, first down, something like that. Um, You'd like to see the run blocking come together in a way that's interesting. Maybe Kenyon Green actually gets to play. Um, We'll see Damian run with the ones for a little bit, maybe just a series or two. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't really put a lot of stock in preseason results as far as I need the offense to do something right away to justify it. Because you saw the Colts last week. They looked pretty bad. But they also were playing the Bills, who are one of the best defenses in the NFL, even if they are on their depth. And they were trying to win one-on-one, and that's not really their game. So this, I don't really like look at that and be like, oh, well, the Colts are doomed. It's just a matter of where they are on man-to-man, one-on-one, one-on-one plays. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's one of these things, I think it's like when you go to, yeah, we're not going to see much of the 
LA starters and then the, then the final preseason game is, is basically for the third and fourth stringers so yeah hopefully it'll all be revealed uh, week one um, in terms of Kenyon Green are you concerned about that because I think um, speaking to somebody earlier they, they didn't think he'd play this week either you know one of the things that I really took out of Casario's pre-draft stuff and there's a lot to talk about with him because he just says a lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with all of those words. But one thing I really took away from that is when he was like, now if a guy has a retro year, are we going to discount him? No, not necessarily. And I think hmm. with, with, with Kenyon Green, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a year where he struggles when he plays because he hasn't gotten enough practice time because he's been hurt. And, and, and you know, not saying that he's going to be. I don't know that. Nobody knows that until he gets on the field. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up that way either. Yeah. <clears throat> and do you think um, tight end after the trade failing last week or for medical um, discrepancies, certainly where Miami sees his, um, his condition uh, versus Houston, um, do you think tight ends are a position they pick up on uh, the cut down uh, day and in terms of kind of picking people on the waiver wire? Because when you look at that position, when you're going with Farrell Brown, who you know openly admitted last year this was the first roster he'd ever made, and then he, he just proceeded to get lots of penalties and try and fight guys after the after the whistle. Um, when you're talking about him being your starting tight end, regardless where you are in a, in a development curve, it feels like that position of all of them, if not, you know, you could argue is probably one of the the shortest in terms of talent uh, quality on this roster. Yeah, tight end's a really weird position to be trying to pick up talent on because. If you are even moderately talented as an NFL tight end, you just have a job for as long as you want it. Uh, and to that, I'd bring up um, what guy's name in Green Bay, who's been there forever, who's the ex-Jaguar, um, Mercedes Lewis. He's right, just yeah. been employed forever. And yeah, the Texans, would they like to pick up somebody there? I'm sure they would. But when you combine the Casario kind of, well, I'll give you a six round pick ethos with, with, uh, you know, trying to save money, not really trying to find a guy who, I, I don't know, like if they want to bring in somebody, sure. They'll bring in somebody young and maybe they'll be good. But like an NFL talent guy, that might be, they're willing to pay. Yeah. Yeah. And what, and what do you think? Um, Cause uh, as you sort of evaluate in this roster, what do you think the, the big spots are? on this team that we need to get um, right across the, the roster. What do you think the big spots are that, that they need to get answers from this year? I know obviously quarterbacks won because it just seems like, you know, and obviously a lot will change in a year, but it seems like a hell of a year for quarterbacks. There seems to be a number of guys right across the college landscape that could potentially be first round picks. Um, I'm sure that will change, but um, where do you think they need to get the most answers on this year um, in terms of certain guys? Because there isn't a huge amount of guys that are going to need the new contracts, probably apart from Titus Howard, Jonathan Grenard in a year or so, but um, where, where, where's the spots you think they need answers from in terms of some of these more premium spots in the draft? Because obviously you go corner this year, um, more tried and tested vets up front and that may, that may haunt them in terms of the pressure rates they can get but where do you think's the the key spots they need to understand what they need to to sort of cornerstone a roster in terms of talent boy um i mean <laughs> i don't i definitely can't i definitely can't say that any spot in the roster is like oh that's secure <laughs> like I, I i wouldn't be surprised if they drafted a wide receiver in the first round i wouldn't be surprised if they drafted a tight end in the first round offensive line Defensive end, interior lineup versus Davis again. 
Like, like it, it's it's a wide open slate to me. Um, I guess if I had to say one position I'd be most curious, it'd be linebacker because you got Chris there. You've got Garrett Waller, who's gotten a lot of pep from the from Casario, from from bloody of those guys. Like, is one of those two guys going to actually get on the field? Is one of them going to knock Kamu off or, or Neville Hewitt out or or whoever, push them aside and say, "This is my job." Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. And I, I know people were um, after the, the the Chicago trade request was put in uh, last week. Uh, with Smith, he's a guy that you know people are obviously you know naturally going to talk about to trade for. It's probably too early in the life cycle, but do you think getting a guy at linebacker like that, um, like Roquan, would that make this defense? Would that give it a better complexion than it does now with somebody who can you know be on the field all three downs um, at, at the linebacker spot and play off the ball as well, um, passing against, as against the rush? I mean, sure, yeah, but I mean. You're not gonna give a first round pick for that either. And no, that's yeah. <laughs> what that's gonna cost, I think. Yeah. So so ultimately, I mean, it's fun to dream about these things. Um, where the Texans are as an organization and as a roster is kind of in a spot where trading for anybody that good, unless it's like a discounted scenario or you know, they get a good they get a steal of a deal or the guy for three years or whatever, it's really hard to swing that kind of trade. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I take the view that they perhaps should not be trading anything, as you said, below those token fifth and sixth round picks thrown away for uh, a subjective hope that somebody can find some upside. Um, you think you got to you got to keep your powder dry on that, and, and it's a, a, the development curve is, or of the getting this talent together is probably a bit longer than than uh, getting Roquan Smith and and a place that you probably wouldn't want to come to if he's want to leave uh, Chicago. He's probably want to go and um, fulfill his potential elsewhere. Um, so I'll give you some potential too early awards, River, uh, for this offense. If you let me know who you think your candidates are, so biggest disappointment on the offense. <sighs> Oh, there's so many to pick from. Um, how about Marlon Mack? I feel like people are have been very hyped on Marlon Mack. He won when I ran that poll uh, of Texans fans that got like 500 responses. He was the guy who people thought would be the most impactful uh, of the free agent signings, yeah. and I, I kind of just don't see it. I think he could be solid, but between how they already kind of like Burkhead and Pierce coming on, I would be surprised if he got an enormous share for most of the season. Most improved. Mm, I'm going to go to Brevin Jordan still. I know that Nico has been more of the hype candidate. I just, I just still want to see it. I still want to see it. Give me Brevin Jordan. Yeah. Uh, biggest shock. Biggest mm. shock. <laughs> uh, Man, there's nothing that would surprise yeah. me here. <laughs> well, I, I think just just from a draft perspective, I think I, I'm concerned about um, Green. I think if he's not starting at left guard and you pick a guy um, in a position which takes you sometimes two, even three years to click, if he doesn't play year one, I know it's not a lost year in terms of the team output, uh, but I think certainly for his development, um, and if you're in a position where you potentially only get two good years out of him before you have to look at a new contract uh, when you pick somebody that high when it'll always be compared to Kyle Hamilton when it'll always be um, but Jordan Davis uh, Zion Johnson was still on the board all reports from LA that he's successful I think that one could be the disappointing just because it's a what you could have had scenario potentially 
Oh, man. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of what-ifs with that. How about this? How about this? Starts more than four games. Who's that, sorry? Charlie Heck. Well, he was not good on Saturday. I thought he struggled at left tackle. Um, But they love him. They love him. Well, they did. And I don't know, and I know we don't want to go down the, the rabbit hole, but of of uh, the certain uh, VP of Ops um, hanging around, but his influence seems to have lessened. Um, he was directly in front and in, involved with the Eric Murray signing. So I I hope, uh, just for, you know, logic to prevail more than anything else, but his influence uh, of that is is, is, is lessened. But I, I don't know if, um, if his current regime loves him as much as the last one did. But, you know, it was good to see Nick Martin out there. And I, I was thinking when he uh, gave away that holding penalty, if he'd brought the gym equipment back to the building after he's a uh, much heralded contract, which when you see him now, not to digress, but when you see him now as a backup, on a, for a good offensive line is where he is that, well that's where he's found his position in the market um, it just makes that contract look even worse still I think as, as time goes on not that, not that it ever looked like it was going to be value but yeah seeing Nick Martin pop up there as a, as a backup making errors um, yeah part of the reason probably a, a very fitting, uh, fitting anecdote of why we're in this position I think well I mean Winnie Mercer's retired so I guess I guess Nick Martin's all we got left to, to laugh at. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, I know. I know. I think it was. Uh, <laughs> it showed it. And then final one. Um, end on a, or a positive note. Um, or positive. N- uh, MVP of the offense. It's probably only one name, really. But. Brandon Cooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, my question for you, right? Is it when the reports for training camp is Brandon Cooks is above head and shoulders above everybody else? Nobody can cover him. Is that a reflection more of the rest of the defense he's going against rather than Brandon Cooks? Because on a Sunday, yeah, he's a productive player, but he's not, you know, an all-world, all-pro type of talent. We know that. Like he's just, he doesn't project as that in terms of his measurables. Although he's quick, um, he's, he's he's certainly shifty. He's a pro's pro. He gets a lot out of his talent that he's got. But when you when you see the reports consistently that he's completely dominating camp, um, I. Th- I tend to think that's potential reflection on his competition, um, as you know, similar to the Nico kind of uh, narrative. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it for sure. And obviously, Stingley's been, you know, slow to come back, been taking his time with that. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I, I don't take anything away from that really at all. Like when Brandon Cooks gets praised, it's just one of the things the organization is best at. <laughs> good at pumping up Brandon Cooks. I'm not saying that like as a slam, just like that is the things they do best. He is he is their baby boy. He is the apple of their eye. He's the one guy who's got the contract extension locked in. Has a good past and this is what they are. They are the Brandon Cooks promotion organization. Yeah. No, I thought when you saw when Stingley got drafted and he's in the office with one of the coaches and everything, it kind of seemed a bit, <laughs> all kind of seemed a bit uh, convenient. Uh, but no, I, I think Lee Brandon's probably the best chance of getting some good offensive football this year, and I think is um, is one of the trades or one of the moves that has actually kind of panned out to a reasonable degree, um, a reasonably productive player. But I think, you, yeah, you really want, um, you know, a number one, a true number one. Uh, get up and go guy on the boundary if you're going to improve this offense and um, so in terms of this season uh, Rivers what are you is there a game or is there anything you're particularly looking forward to or is it just uh, 
see some development hit the draft. What's uh, was there anything this season that you're you've got you've got marked on your calendar? I mean, we don't we obviously don't know if there's going to be a certain player playing or not, but the Browns game is going to be fascinating. <laughs> them coming them coming to Houston, um, even if. Deshaun Watson is not playing. I'm sure that the fans will have many things to say to the Cleveland organization. And yeah, that will be that will be the most interesting game for me. Um, I think development matters a lot more than the actuals. So, but but I do think the Jaguars games are going to be the measuring stick for me. Are the Texans still kind of above what the Jaguars are? Or have the Jaguars passed them by leaving kind of that disastrous urban mile behind in the past? Because one way, you know, if the Texans get two wins out of that, that's like, okay, well, you know, that's a good start to five or six. And if the Jaguars are better than them now, then it's hard to see them favored in many games. Yeah, because the obviously they splashed in free agency. But do you think Doug Peterson, from your knowledge of the league, do you think Doug Peterson has got enough to get um, get the potential and the talent out of Trevor Lawrence because I think you're right I think that's an inflection point for us because yeah it was a bank or two wins for the last couple of years and if that disappears then all of a sudden your season has a, a whole new complexion yeah I, I do think that they've taken at least from what I saw in the first preseason game a little step forward um, I don't know that they're going to be dominant I think the Texans can still play with them, obviously, but I think they're definitely a lot more competent than they were last year. And as long as they can stop getting two receivers in the same area where Trevor Lawrence throws football, I think they'll be doing okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I think so. And I, I suppose there's there's an element of, you know, teams get results against other teams just by a lot of averages at times. And it's, it's been very one-sided in the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, Holding on to that as a as a basis of your season win total is uh, not probably a way to play sustainable or progressive football. But um, we will see. Uh, one preseason down, uh, another two to go. The Texans travel to Inglewood uh, this weekend. Um, we'll hopefully, see some more of the starters. Um, I think obviously all eyes will be on Stingley and see where he is health wise to see if he can uh, live up to the third overall pick, which is a hell of a slate for a corner. Um, so he's going to have to to hone that 2019 tape which is obviously um aggressive but were you uh were you a proponent of that use of that pick at that position with that player i think in a normal season i probably wouldn't have been like if there were if 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 we had like a draft where we knew that there were 10 or 15 you know kind of top-notch guys and they're in every position then yeah, I would probably wouldn't have spent a pick that high on a cornerback. But given how everything shook out this year, there wasn't really a lot of impact talent. I can definitely see that as a swing at the most impactful talent that was there. So yeah, I, I mean, I I didn't think it was all. I, I it probably wouldn't have been who I would have picked because I was a big Kayvon Thibodeau person. But from the beginning, you could tell that those the Kayvon and the Texans culture were not going to mesh. So. Yeah. Yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah, I lost count of how many times they talked about um, your brand and Casario must have mentioned that at least five or six different interviews about coming at the building, be football player first and foremost. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was a intentional, but it, it seems rather convenient. But uh, yeah, we'll see where Thibodeau turns up. Um, when you pick at the top of the draft, you'll always be compared 
Clowney's career will always be compared to Khalil Mack and um, and we'll probably see both those guys here. And I think that's the biggest storyline this year, Rivers, is just how good are those two guys that you took early. You've got, you know, six premium assets to try and rebuild a roster. Where they where they wisely spent, um, and if not, did you make up for it in other areas? So development is the name of the game, um, and we'll see how that goes throughout the season. But Rivers, thank you very much for your time. Um, looking forward to some real football come back in a couple of weeks, but we get another test this weekend in LA to see where some of these guys are. So um, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, like, for, share, all that kind of good stuff, um, if you can, for us. And uh, we'll be back again next week to talk the LA game.